Welcome to the Desert Life Church podcast. We're so excited you've tuned in to hear our weekend message. From wherever you are listening, we hope you're inspired by this message. Isn't that fantastic? It's, um, it is a genuine privilege to be able to sit and watch that and see how much effort has been put in by so many people within the church, um, partnering with people around the world. And we're only able to do that because of your contributions and your um, spirit of getting behind the, I guess, the values of our church and our belief that we are able to and in fact need to influence the world around us and that we have a program and a structure that we work and we've been working that plan over 12 months, and it is, it is great to be able to see how that has developed over the last, that last period, and even more exciting to see where the opportunities are into the future. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lyndon Friss, and I have been uh, for quite some time the mission lead within the church and have taken on responsibility for developing the program, but it's very exciting for me to see that as we've expanded what we've been able to do, it's beyond my capacity to continue to... Uh, to drive and lead that. And so Meredith Somerville is going to be taking on uh, the leadership of the Influence Dream uh, going on from here. And so Mez, as you've seen already, she's done a great job in being able to pull this stuff together. uh, And it's exciting to hear about where, where it's all going. Now, we can spend a lot of time sharing with you all the things we've done. We can show you pictures of kids laughing and dancing. We can show you missionaries doing stuff. We can tell you about mission trips. We can get you to go on those mission trips. We can spend a lot of time talking about the what we're doing. And we can make the what seem really exciting. But the what of what we're doing is entirely irrelevant unless we as a church understand genuinely and deeply the why. So why do we do mission? Why do we do the activities that we do? Why do we believe that it is so important? And the why is really simple. The why is Jesus. We believe that Jesus is a gift, that, or the saving grace of Jesus is a gift that we have individually been able to receive, and that is a gift that should be available to everyone around the world, and everyone who has existed or will exist should be able to have the opportunity to hear of him and to be blessed by his sacrifice. That's what we believe. That's... I hope you all believe it with me, but that's actually what it is that we believe and it's why we have a mission program because we believe that that's something that needs to be shared out. But in understanding what we believe and understanding who Jesus is, we need to understand how perception can change our understanding of Christ and how perception can change our understanding of what other people will believe and think about this Christ that we talk of. So today's sermon is actually called, is titled Jesus in the Eye of the Beholder. What is it? What is Jesus in the eye of the person who's perceiving him? Now, something very exciting happened this last week. Who has heard of the Hubble spell, taste, uh, space... Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope. Yes, everyone's heard of it. So we're going to put this quick image up. This is the Hubble Space Telescope. It's been up there for about 25 years. It's been a lot of um, updates to it, and they've been updating the telescopes inside it and the software and the hardware that's there. Over the last 14 years, it has been targeting one particular area of space. Now, just to give you a sense of the scope of what it's been looking at, 
we're standing here in Alice Springs, full moon comes up on the horizon, and we sort of look out and go, well, that's the, the full moon. It's still pretty small when we look at it. That's sort of the, the, the amount of the sky that the space telescope has been looking at. So we're just going to bring up the next image. This is the chunk of the sky that it's been looking at. So you can imagine this is a very small area of it, and it's been looking at it over the last 14 years. Now, you can see the red square, and there's a blue square. Just above the red square on the right-hand side, there's two little bright spots. We're going to zoom into that square now, and we're going to zoom into the square again. Right there is a galaxy. Now, that galaxy is as big as our Milky Way galaxy. And in fact, in that little spot that the Hubble Space Telescope was looking at, there is over 256,000 of these galaxies, each one of them as big as the solar system that we're in. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I still, I can't quite get my head around that. Like, that is just, those numbers are so big and the space is so big that it still sort of blows me away. And then just to look at that little spot, that little dot on one image, and to zoom into it and see the spirals of the galaxy is is genuinely astounding. But the thing that I find intriguing about it, and this is a characteristic of the human condition, is that each one of us looking at that will have a different response. And our own preconditions and our own experience will inform what that response is. So Carl Sagan, one of the preeminent cosmologists of the 20th century, looked out into space And he wrote these words, who are we? We find that we live on an insignificant planet of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of a universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. So he looked out into space and he saw that inky blackness and he saw all those stars and those galaxies and he saw his own insignificance and that human humanness and creation was just of not much value within the enormity of space. C.S. Lewis looks out into the world and he and looks out into space and sees said these words, if the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there was no light in the universe and there were no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark dark would be without meaning. So he looked out into the blackness, looked at those tiny little spots of light, and he saw meaning in the same place that Carl Sagan saw nothing or saw absence of meaning. How is it that two people can look at the same thing and form such different conclusions about the world? Now, this is important to us because the reason humans are able to do this is because, some, uh, because of something called cognitive bias. Our own experiences and our own background and our own heritage and our experiential engagement with the world will inform what we think about what we're seeing. That's, that's what it is. That's how we behave. We can look at two set and we can, we can get a bunch of people all looking at the same piece of information and form different conclusions. 
Now, why does that matter today? Well, it matters today because we need to understand how our bias, our own biases, and this is talking to me as well, how our bias impacts and influences how people perceive the Jesus that we talk about. We live in a post-Christian world. What does that mean? Well, it means that we, have, we live in a society, we live in a country that has been largely informed by our Judeo-Christian heritage. That's Judeo-Christian, sort of sounds very complicated, but it basically means that because we're a country that is that in its um, development and its colonisation, it has its roots in Western democracy, which was formed by an understanding of the value of the individual, um, of liberty, and that that libertarianism, that idea of the sanctity of an individual human life, actually has its values drawn from the Protestant Reformation in about, about 600 years ago when a guy called Martin Luther banged a piece of paper up on a door of a church and said, no, we need to think about the value of the individual having a relationship with Jesus. So much of our modern society and so much of our modern institutions the very election that we're going to have in two weeks' time, which I'm sure you're all excited about, so much of that has its genesis, has its basis in the idea of the value of an individual having a relationship with Christ. Now, we look at that and say, well, isn't it wonderful? We've got a Christian heritage. And even as recently as 20 years ago, we could probably have claimed that with some some integrity. But the reality of where we stand now as a society, and this is true of many society, many Western democracies around the world, is that even though we are informed by and, and governed by institutions and structures and values that, are, that are, have been based upon our Christian heritage, there's no longer an appreciation of that. In fact, when I was growing up, kids that I went to school with, their parents would have gone to church growing up but didn't really bring their children along to church. So a lot of the friends that I went to scouts and school and uni with never actually went to church on a regular basis. Whereas their parents had gone to to church, had an awareness of the Bible, had an awareness of who Jesus was, but then it sort of said, look, that's not relevant to my life, so I'll just stop going. Those kids, however, never went, many of them never went, and my kids live in a world where even fewer of their friends understand what church is. It's sort of just that weird building that's down the road that people do things in on Sunday, and the Bible's just that old book. So it's no longer true to assume that people understand what is in the Bible. It's no longer true to assume that people will understand what we're talking about when we say, well, Jesus said this, or you should believe in Jesus, or Jesus can save you, Jesus can heal you, Jesus can, can rescue the lost. People don't know what that means anymore because they've, they, they haven't got the same background necessarily as we do. And that's really important to us because we need to understand that in a world in which we're dealing with great social issues in our, in our time, when we're dealing with social issues ranging from 
euthanasia to abortion to divorce to homosexual marriage to different structures for how we believe we should deal with refugees, how we should deal with disadvantage in our society, all these great social issues that are being discussed and communicated and and being debated within society. We can no longer say this is what you should believe because the Bible tells us so. Now, I'm not telling you that the Bible isn't correct, but what I'm telling you is that as a church, and I'm saying it to myself, if I go out and say, this is what you should do because the Bible tells you so, they're just going to look at you like you're an idiot. And I know that because I've had lots of people look at me like I'm an idiot. That may not just be because of what I'm saying. It could be a whole bunch of reasons. But they, we can't just say the Bible tells me so. We can't guilt people into a relationship with Christ on the basis, well, you know you're wrong because you know that Jesus said it was a bad idea in the Bible to do that. We cannot do that. It has no effect. And in fact, it has worse than no effect. It turns people away from the image of who Jesus is. We as Christians, I think, have in many ways lost sight of what it means to be able to genuinely reflect Jesus in his fullness. We reflect the bit of Jesus that we're comfortable within and we don't understand that the way people perceive us is not the way we think that we're sharing Jesus. So just like I said before, two people can look out into space and one can see absence and meaninglessness and the other one can see meaning. We can be saying things about Jesus genuinely believing with heart of hearts that what we're saying is trying to help the situation and the person on the other side of it can be hearing something completely different and something entirely opposed often to what we believe we're saying. We can be saying, we can think that we're saying something in love and someone else can be hearing words in hate. Now that's an uncomfortable truth But it's actually one that God understands and God has actually dealt with in the Bible. So as much as I've told you that we cannot say the Bible tells you so, in the Bible it does tell us so, some really important things about who Jesus is. God understood that we are humans and we are failed and flawed. And so he recognises that then how he communicates Christ to us has to reflect our own failings because we're just not good enough to be able to understand the fulsomeness of Jesus in the way that God does. So he's had to break it down and understand our own biases. And we can see this in the Bible. The four Gospels that describe Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now, why have we got four Gospels? Why do we have four books to describe Jesus? Well, it's because God knew that Jesus was too complicated to be just described in any one book. And in fact, our own bias, our own perception would influence how we understand it. So we look at what Matthew says. Now let's start with Matthew 1.1. So Matthew 1.1, first book of the New Testament, the very first words of the New Testament. And what does Matthew say? This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. 
The most important words that Matthew could use to start off his entire gospel was to say, you need to understand that Jesus was a descendant of David and Abraham. Matthew's bias was to say what matters most here is that Jesus is part of a sovereign lineage of the Jewish nation connected to Abraham, the chosen people, that Jesus is part of a family. Let's have a look at what the last words of Matthew are. So Matthew 28, 20. The words that he chose to write down of Jesus, so these are Jesus' words. If you've got them in your Bible, they'll be the red ones. The words that he chose to record were, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Words matter. And in this circumstance, Matthew thought that the most important words of Christ to use in the last words of his gospel were to say, I will be with you to the end of the age. So his starting point was to say, you need to understand Jesus is part of a family that goes, that had its beginning with a chosen people. And the end point is to understand that Jesus is going to be in there until eternity, until the end of an age. So his connection is, Matthew values family and heritage and that connection into the Jewish nation. So what does Mark then say? Mark is the second gospel. So Mark 1.1, 1, 1, we see that he says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and you'll prepare your way. So Mark felt that the most important things to say about Jesus was that he was the Messiah and that he was fulfilling prophecy. So we learn from Mark that for Mark, what mattered about Jesus was that he was a saviour, he was a healer, he was miraculous, and he was fulfilling prophecy. And we can see that then in the last words that Mark writes, and the disciples went everywhere and they preached and the Lord walked, worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So for Mark, it was important that we understand that Jesus saved, Jesus healed, Jesus was miraculous, Jesus was supernatural. That's the image of, Mark, uh, of Jesus that Mark wanted us to understand. Let's jump to Luke. Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating, amongst, uh, circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I've also decided to write an account for you, most honourable Theophilus. So Theophilus was a, um, we, we believe him to be sort of a, a governor of some note, some, uh, someone reasonably well off, and he had charged Luke with going out and working out who Jesus was. And so Luke went out as, as a doctor, as someone, a learned man, to write a history of Luke. Uh, sorry, history of Jesus. So he, he went out... To, to do a forensic examination of the evidence to work out, well, what was going on? Who was this Jesus? What actually happened? As I said, words matter. Let's go to the last verses of Luke. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Now, for all of us, also they worshipped him and then they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. 
Now, for all of us, we tend to focus on the, oh, well, Jesus blessed them and went to heaven and that, that's the part that is critical. But Luke had to tell us that he went to Bethany. Why, why, does, why does Luke feel the need to tell us that Jesus went to Bethany? It's because for Luke, data mattered, information mattered, accuracy mattered. He wanted us to understand that Bethany was a place you could go to. It's somewhere people understood. This wasn't just a story. He checked it out. He'd reviewed it. He'd understood it. He checked the data and this was exactly what happened. And it made the reference to Bethany tells us that then the references to what happened afterwards are more credible because he was able to reference exactly where it occurred. So Luke is telling us, hey, Jesus was real. He was there. I can point you to where he went. I can introduce you to the people he influenced. Matthew was about family and about genealogy and about being one of God's children. Mark was about understanding Jesus as a saviour, as a healer, as a doer of wonders and signs. Luke was telling you that he was a person that was there. You could touch him. You could feel him. So what did John say? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. What amazing and powerful words they are about our Jesus. And John's point is that Jesus was there at the beginning He was there as part of the creation. So as much as Jesus might be part of a family and as much as Jesus might be someone who was a miraculous healer and as much as Jesus may have been a person who walked this earth and who we could touch and feel, John was saying he was all of that but he was more. He was the light. He was the word. He was the very beginning of, and the end. So John came to it with a different perspective of who Jesus was. Now, why are we going through and looking at all this? It's because when we see that the Gospels take into account the full understanding of who Jesus is, when we can see how broad it is, we start to then think, oh, well, how does, how does my own bias influence my understanding of Jesus? For me... Having being an engineer and being loving science and maths, I love Luke. I love reading Luke because it's history and I can go and look in maps and understand exactly what was going on. But the problem with that is if I only understand and if I only talk about the Jesus that I know of from Luke as a man who walked the world, then I don't share the part of the Jesus that is a healer or is a part of Jesus that was, a crea- was with the creator at the beginning. For you, you might be more inclined to Jesus the healer. You might be more inclined to Jesus as part of a family, as part of a cultural heritage. You might be more inclined to Jesus as God and as, a, as the fulfilment of prophecy and the... the bringing forth of salvation and the manifestation of that through the Holy Spirit. 
Each one of us have our own biases and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having a bias or a, a sense towards something that is more engaged with you, is something that you find easier to understand. But the reason it matters to us today and the reason it matters to us in the context of this month is as I referred to before, people can look at the same information and come to different conclusions. And we may be trying to communicate a Jesus that we genuinely believe and love in and that we have an engagement with and a relationship with. We may be projecting that out. And when we don't understand our own bias and the fact that the people we're communicating to have their biases as well, we may be trying to communicate love and all they're hearing is words of hate. We may be trying to to lift Jesus up and say, look how wonderful he is. And our own bias and the bias of the people looking at us may actually result in going, that's not a Jesus I want to be part of. So the challenge to us today, the challenge to each of us as we think about this is to say, well, who is Jesus to us? Do we genuinely understand and have a relationship with the fulsomeness of Jesus or do we like to put him in a little box? Homer Simpson said once, and you've got to appreciate any sermon that includes references to Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson said once, I don't know much about God, but we've made a really nice cage for him. And sometimes we make a cage for Jesus by just talking about him the way that we understand and the way that we are comfortable with without realising that he transcends that cage, but we have to be willing to let him outside of that. And that when we constrain him to those things, we reduce the opportunity for people to come and to know the glory and the majesty of Christ in someone's life. We, we reduce the opportunity for people to be saved and to be healed. Aristotle wrote several, well, nearly 3,000 years ago, as a Greek philosopher, these words... Persuasion is achieved by the speaker's personal character when the speech is so spoken as to make us think him credible. We believe good men more fully and more really than others. This is true generally, whatever the question is, and absolutely true where exact certainty is impossible and opinions are divided. What does that mean? Aristotle is saying that we have credibility when we can demonstrate that we are good. That when we have certainty, when we are open to demonstrating the fullness of Christ. Aristotle didn't know who Jesus was, but he understood that integrity and credibility are critical to engaging with other people the question for us is how how much integrity and how much credibility do we have when we talk about our Jesus how much integrity and credibility do we have to the fulsomeness of Jesus do we talk about healing to people who just want to focus on the data Do we talk about family to people who just want to know about the Creator God? 
do we talk about the data, the history to people who are lost and just want to know that someone loves them? Do our perceptions of what we're doing, do our own biases actually create further distance between someone else and Christ rather than closing those, those gaps? For each one of us, do we understand truly who Christ is? Not the Christ that fits our definition, that fits within our box, fits within the cage that we're comfortable with. But are we genuinely comfortable with the idea of Christ as part of a family, as part of a genealogy, as part of a history? Are we genuinely comfortable with Christ as a saviour, as a healer? Are we comfortable with talking about Christ as someone who walked these walls, walls, uh, the, the world, who was able to touch, be touched and to be felt, was not a, a mystic, but was someone who was real? Are we comfortable with Jesus as the light of the world? When we walk out of here, will someone else looking at you, the Hubble Space Telescope of their mind staring at you and staring at your life, staring at your actions and looking to see what you're doing, knowing that you have come from church, will they see the Jesus we believe in? Will they see the dots the, 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 the imprint of creation on you and go, there's meaning. There's something. There's something there that I want to be part of. Or they look at that and go, that is not what I want to see. Or they see an opaque, shadowy figure of Christ that is not welcoming to them. Or they look at it and go, yes, that is, that is the Jesus that I want to be part of. Do you know who that Jesus is? I'd like you all to stand now. We're going we're gonna to pray for a moment. Because as we go into our mission month, we need to be single-mindedly focused on understanding Jesus. We need to be single-mindedly focused on understanding our own relationship with Jesus, to understand our biases, accept them, embrace them, acknowledge them, and say, how are they affecting how I communicate Jesus to the world? We need to be single-mindedly focused on making sure that everyone understands not just the what we're doing, but the why we're doing it. Because if we don't understand that, then we'll never be successful. We'll never achieve the mission that has been set for this church. You'll never achieve the mission that has been set for you personally. We are creations of God. I genuinely believe it. It's something that I'm happy to attest to. I've experienced God and Christ in my life. I've experienced the the unmerited favour and grace that comes from His sacrifice for us. I don't understand all that has gone on in the world. I can't fully comprehend how we can have 256,000 galaxies in that little spot, each as big as our Milky Way, and yet engage with a world that is, t- is real and 
tangible and, and miracles can occur. I don't understand all of that. But I have engaged with Jesus and I need to make sure that my own bias doesn't stop me from communicating the love of Jesus in a way that others will be able to understand and embrace. If you're here today and you don't know the Jesus that I'm talking about, if you haven't heard of Jesus as part of a family or Jesus the healer, the fulfiller of prophecy, Jesus the man who walked the world, Jesus the light of the world, then we want to pray for you. And we'd love for you to come down at the end of the service and we'd stand with you and just pray that you are able to, to get to know this Jesus that we speak of. If you've ever been hurt by someone projecting a view of Jesus, then I'm sorry. I'm sorry on behalf of me and of everyone else who's ever preached about Jesus that you could have been hurt by Jesus' name in the way that someone was pre- preaching it. If you have ever hurt someone else by trying to project an image that they don't understand, then you need to, to seek forgiveness of that as well because we are, are poor reflections of the majesty of Christ. But each one of us today as we walk out needs to understand how is it that other people will look at us? Will other people look at us and see Jesus? Will other people look at us, regardless of how we think we're projecting it, will they look at us and see an absence of Jesus? That's our challenge. And that's the challenge that we have in the month ahead. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity that we have as a church to come together, to share your word, to hear the good things that have been going on in your church, in your name. Lord, I ask for strength and guidance and wisdom in my life and to in, in each of the lives of the people here today to know how to best project Jesus, not the Jesus that we're comfortable with or the Jesus that we've put in a box, but the Jesus that is true and majestic in his fullness, fulsomeness, that represents all that he can be in the lives of the people that you still want to reach. Lord, I ask that you make us vessels of that, that we're able to to pour that out, not constraining it, but to understand the the people that we're speaking to. And if, if we have failed to reflect that properly, Lord, I just seek forgiveness. I seek forgiveness for me and for anyone else who has ever done a disservice to, to the image of Christ as how we project it. Finally, Lord, I just want to pray for anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't yet met Jesus or hasn't, hasn't had a relationship with him for a long time. Lord, I just pray that not through us, but through you, you'll be able to meet them where they are at and to remind them, to engage them with your love. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise your holy name. We praise the mighty name of Jesus and thank you for the opportunity to share his name in this world. Amen. Thank you for joining us in the podcast. For more information about Desert Life Church, go to desertlifechurch.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day and remember, you belong here.